but uh, it's nice to be together with uh, the Monroys and, and with uh, Jocelyn and her daughter we just met, so good to be here on God's Sabbath, and the weather is beautiful. They had tornado and severe weather warnings last night south and west of Houston, but none of it got to us. Anyway, I don't think of anything in particular to announce. I might make one quick comment that uh, I think maybe some prayers are helping with Barbara's situation. I don't think she slept more than two, three, maybe a maximum of four hours at a time, probably in six months. And uh, she was anointed again just before we left and uh, slept 11 hours last night, which is almost unbelievable. I think Pat slept almost all the 11 as well. So uh, she was getting pretty worn out as well, and that, uh, that was certainly good news to hear this morning that she had slept so well last night, and I think that improves her outlook and everything a great deal to be rested a little bit for a change. So some good news comes along once in a while, and I do appreciate that. We just had a sermonette on thankfulness, and uh, we can be thankful for an awful lot, even though we're in a world that is full of trials and troubles and terrible things going on, <clears throat> there is still a God in heaven who does take care of us, and we can be so very thankful for that. Actually, we pick that thought up a little bit as we get into the Psalms today. We finished up with 118 last time I spoke, and uh, at the end of 18, or 118, excuse me, it talks about Christ being the cornerstone of the church, the headstone, and that the building of the church is his doing, in verse 23, and that we're blessed if we come in his name, in verse 26, and down in 28, it says, you are my God, and I will praise you, you are my God, I will exalt you, oh, give thanks to the eternal, for he is good, but we just had a sermonette on giving thanks to God and being thankful for what he has given. And then it says, for his mercy endures forever. And last week, of course, we had a sermon about mercy and being merciful with one another, even as God is merciful with us. So uh, it seems like a, a pattern here is fitting the Psalms very nicely as we go through of the things that we need and that God inspires to be spoken. <clears throat> so with that, let's lead into chapter 119. Uh, sometimes I've been getting through three, four, even five chapters. I don't know that that will happen today. We've got 176 verses in this one chapter alone, so we'll see how far we get, and it doesn't really matter, I guess, one way or another. But uh, let's pick up 119. This is a very interesting chapter from the standpoint that every verse says something about God's law, His testimonies, His statutes, or some reference to uh, the rules that God has made for every part of life. So it is a recurring theme, and it might seem to be uh, very repetitive, and in one sense, if someone's not careful, they might say even it could bit get boring. <clears throat> but at the same time, he approaches it from so many different directions and in so many ways that uh, it, it gives us a great deal of insight into our way of thinking compared to God's and how our thinking ought to be. So there is a great deal of instruction in this particular chapter, all having to do with God's way of life. So let's dive into Psalm 119. It says, Blessed 
are the undefiled in the way. Now, my margin says a better translation would be perfect or sincere. Um, none of us are perfect in the modern term uh, or usage of that word. Uh, really, it means mature uh, when it's used in Scripture more than it does perfect because none are perfect. But I think sincere is a pretty good translation here as well. Blessed are the sincere in the way. Paul speaks of living God's truth as a way of life. It's not just a religion, but it's a whole way of life that affects every part of life. Because God has direction and insight into the best way for a human being to do anything they do. It's not like he's sitting over us, exerting great control over us, but he gives us insight throughout his word on the best way to approach anything in life. Uh, there is no subject that is not included in Scripture. So if we are sincere in it, then we walk in the law of the eternal. Of course, there's much instruction in the New Testament about being hearers only, not doing any good, uh, only if we're doers. Does it matter? Because there are many who can hear, many who might listen, but if it's just lip service and doesn't do anything with our life or to our life, then what good is it? Because God is going to bless those who obey, not those who speak the right things but don't do them. And that's where the rub comes because our minds accept to a great degree God's way, and yet our nature does not want to walk there. So the very opening thing here is we have to be very sincere or very uh, concerned about trying to do things according to God's way and His law. And that is how we become blessed, not just sitting and listening, but doing it. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. How many times have we run across that in the last quite a few years that we've been going more into the Old Testament than I think I had ever uh, experienced before in, in the church because we saw the story open up about the church in the Old Testament and many of the things that are in the New Testament are simply quotes from the Old. So the main difference between the Old and the New really is in the covenant or the promises that were made and the opportunity to have eternal life and then the coming of God's Spirit to give us the extra help that we need to grow, to overcome, and to be like God is that they did not have except for the very few individuals in the Old Testament. Uh, so that was a physical covenant on physical promises, but it doesn't change the way of God. Christ spoke of uh, the heart and having our heart in it even in his first address to the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, about where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So it's all about the heart, the mind, the mentality, the commitment to God's way of life that actually keep his testimonies. So we have a lot in these two verses. We have to be sincere in our approach to God's way and then embrace it wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly as we had come to be in the church and that's why we were spewed out of God's mouth. So here we find New Testament teaching all the way through. <clears throat> it's just been 
move forward. Nothing's been done away. Just move forward and opened up a bit more uh, through the Holy Spirit and the promises made greater. But it's all back here. Verse 3, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Uh, We're told to walk as Christ walked, to walk in his footsteps, and that we have to do, to walk in his ways, which are or do constitute all put together, his way of life. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. So, knowing it, being committed, having the heart in it, walking in it, and then it has to be done in a diligent fashion. And we're even told that the latter temple of the Church of God had to diligently obey there in Zechariah 6 if these blessings were to come upon the end-time work. So, you have Protestants who are trying to tell us we don't have to obey, that the law is done away, and yet uh, the instruction to the very last resurrection of God's church or God's work in the end time is told to diligently obey. And that's one of the very opening things used in this chapter is diligent obedience to God's way. Uh, verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. So we have those opening statements about how we ought to be in this chapter. And then we come to reality in verse 5, and that is that our ways are not God's ways. Our human nature is not in line by nature with his ways. So there's this statement, Oh, that, or oh, how I wish... Or how can it be that my ways would be directed in keeping your statutes? So you have it laid out what you need to be, and then the statement is made, we aren't what we ought to be. So there is room for growth and improvement here. But I think it's important for us to realize and think about that God understands our frame. He understands we're human. He understands our lacks and our faults. And even though with our mind we do grasp and want to know, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Our human nature is always there as a big sandbag holding us down. So we don't have that natural desire to do things God's way. So maybe we need our nose stuck in it here to repeat over and over and over the good and the benefits that come from following his ways because it is not natural to us it's something that is an acquired discipline something we have to work at there is no man who has ever been naturally obedient who has been naturally truly desirous of serving God through his human nature even Christ was tempted in all points like as we are so his human nature tried to lead him astray He just never allowed it to happen, but that nature and that desire to sin and that desire to depart from God's way uh, was very much a part of his life every day that he walked the earth. He could not escape that even as we cannot. And thankfully, he was able to uh, 
be faithful and strong and true in spite of the nature that he had. And he understands us better, having imbibed of that nature for 33 and a half years and had to deal with it. It was not easy for him. Uh, even at the time of his death, it was not easy. He knew he had to die. He knew what he had to go through. And he knew man's sins would all be heaped on his back. And he wished he didn't have to do that. And said, can this be taken from me? And then he said, no, I know it's not your will. I have to go through it. So we have to go through it too. But thankfully, he's our high priest today, and he's been through it and can help us. Um, Verse 6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect to all your commandments. Why do we get ashamed? Why are we shameful? Because sometimes we break his rules, his laws, and it's an embarrassment to us because we know we should do better, everybody else knows we should do better, and then we fail at it, and then we're ashamed and and embarrassed by it. But when we do respect all his commandments and don't make mistakes or don't sin, uh, then we're not ashamed. That's why it says the righteous are as bold as a lion, because... Doing righteous will make us more bold and give us more confidence instead of living in uh, uh, with our inferiority complex and the shame that comes from the realization that we are far from what we ought to be. So it's a process of growth and coming to respect his commandments and his ways more and more. The more we touch a hot stove, the more we learn to withdraw our hands and it's not something that you just learn once and for all. It's something you have to fight all your life to respect His commandments. And when we obey them and are blessed, we feel good. And when we disobey them and trouble comes, then we are ashamed and we have to repent. But over a period of time, hopefully, we have more and more respect for His commandments because they are the way that leads to life more abundant. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned your righteous judgments. Isn't it easier to give a prayer of thanks, a prayer of joy, uh, a prayer of happiness with life when you are upright in heart? It's when we have been thinking negative, been thinking wrong ways or sinful ways or whatever, and we go before him, then we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassed in going to him, we feel chagrin because of the mistakes we've made, and we are in a repentant mood and attitude, and a crying out for mercy, which is not a fun way to be. It isn't a pleasant way to be. It's what we have to go through because of our failings. But isn't it nice? when you can praise God with an upright heart, knowing that things are good, that things are proper, and things are right. Then we can go to him with the kind of prayer he likes best, and that's of joy and peace, thankfulness and happiness, uh, that he's God, and we have an opportunity to become God ourselves. I'm sure those prayers, in some respects, mean much more to him than those where we're having to repent all over again every day, it seems.
And yet he likes those prayers too because he likes us trying to change and to straighten up our attitudes. Uh, but it's a different type of appreciation than the prayers of thanks and joy. Uh, would that we would have more of those and less of the repentant type, but being human, we go through it. I will keep your statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. So there's a statement of intent. It doesn't mean that David or the psalmist here was going to, from that moment on, keep things perfectly, because no man did and ever has, and making that statement isn't going to change it. I think probably any of us could look back on our lives and uh, moments when we were praying and wanting to obey God and and really sincere and devout about it and, and we promise ourselves and we promise God that we'll do better and that we'll try to do everything His way and not make mistakes over. Um, so we have maybe the conviction, but then being able to follow through and live up to that, we seem not able to do. Even at baptism, we promised we would make ourselves slaves of God. We would do everything He wanted His way and never go our own way or think our own thoughts uh, in, in a wrong way ever again. But how many of us were able to live up to that commitment? It's like Paul said, I die daily. Baptism represents a death, laying on of hands a new life. But Paul still had to die daily, crucifying the flesh, because no matter how uh, a committed a statement we might make to God about how we want to obey Him, the flesh still falls short. So the thought here is, it is my mind set, it is my goal, it is my purpose to keep your statutes. Followed very quickly by, oh, forsake me not utterly. Uh, I, I know I fail, I know I make mistakes, I know I do things wrong, think things wrong, but please don't cast me out utterly, understand my frame. I want to do what's right, and yet I'm struggling with myself. There's an awful lot said in verse 8 about human beings and human nature and our struggle to try to do things God's way. It, just, it simply is not an easy task. As I recently told somebody, human nature or living and being a human at best is a struggle. Uh, even when we are at our very best and doing the best we can, being human is always a struggle. never comes easy. Going to verse 9 then. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So a young man trying to become mature, trying to set his course for life on this earth... How is a man going to have a clean life, or I think the thought here is, includes a lot, a good life, uh, a prosperous life, a life that is worth living, uh, to be a substantial, upstanding, right kind of citizen? Uh, it, it could include, certainly, uh, if mistakes have been made, cleaning it up or cleansing his way, but... I think the thought is even bigger than that. It's how should a young man walk? What should he do? How can he make his life successful in every way? And then the answer is given. By taking heed 
thereto according to your word. So if a young man wants to find a way, remember we had a generation not so long ago who used the term, I'm looking for myself, or I'm trying to find myself back in the 60s and that hippie generation, because people were trying to break out from the old mole, uh, mole, mode of society and into a new way or find a better way or solve the problems of their parents and grandparents and be liberated in so many, many different ways. And they became, in a sense, a lost generation, not having a guidepost or a compass. So it was lots of booze and free sex and drugs and all kinds of things because they wanted to be free from the uh, old way of society, which which had its problems too, because people didn't really understand or know nor want to follow God's way. Uh, even the churches themselves thought that God's way was done away with, and all you had to do was uh, accept the name of Jesus and you were saved, so there were no guidelines or no guideposts given even in the churches. And then that was also lost in the schools, and part of it by design of people manipulating things behind the scenes. But from that time forward, things have changed, and now we have big questions. Is same-sex marriage okay? Just hit the news as a huge thing in the last few days, and it's, it's nauseating to even consider, because we know God made man and woman and put them to be together, and that's what marriage is. But... The world today is in a mode that recognizes no authority, so you do as you want, you do as you feel, and then whatever the consequences are, you find out. And what are the consequences of the liberation of the 60s? We're still being affected by those things to this very day, and we're raising a generation of children who do not truly have a guidepost or a way to live or have life outlined for them. So, we have a society that's do as you please, do it when you please, as you please, and whatever it is that you want to do, just do it, and do it now, and instant gratification. Now, is that a way that produces peace and happiness? Look at us. We're sick. We're uh, in body and in mind and in emotions, and in every way the world's going downhill. And I think now, with the highest leaders in the land condoning homosexuality, you basically were, were there. We've arrived at Sodom and Gomorrah, pretty much. So if you're a young person and you want to figure out how to be successful in life and what's going to work for you, take heed according to the words of God. Go back to Proverbs 1, 2, 3, and 4. It shows wisdom there and how to handle yourself as a young person. I think back up through about chapter 7, it talks about wisdom in life and how to go about life. And, of course, the whole Bible is that way. The Word of God is the Bible. And if you will study it, think about it carefully, meditate on it, you'll find that the things God says here will lead to peace and to happiness and to joy in a way that this world has not been able to find. They might, they think, have fun, but there are always penalties that follow the kind of fun that they have. So verse 10 then, With my whole heart have I sought you. 
So that thought was introduced in verse 2, and then the psalmist says, well, I've done that. That's what I want to do. That's my goal and my purpose in life, is to seek you with my whole heart. And we've quoted that from Jeremiah and other places over and over again, about how God says that we will find him when we actually do this. So obviously we have not done it yet uh, in the way that he wants, true wholeheartedness, because the church as a whole and we as individuals have not found him on the same level that we want to, and his blessings so abundantly offered have not been restored to us yet. So obviously we are still falling short. Of course, God's timing has something to do with it as well, but we can't be discouraged or give up or or let our heart wander. We have to stay convicted and committed to God's way of life. And this whole chapter is uh, about that. So with my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So wholeheartedness... And serving God with a whole heart is tied in with God's commandments, His laws, His way of life. If we are seeking God wholeheartedly, we will be obeying His rules wholeheartedly. You can't wander from His commandments and be wholehearted. And that's what the church had done. We had wandered after money. We had wandered after pleasures. We had wandered after a lot of things. And we're not giving God the due diligence that He requires of us, and that's why we were spewed out. And if we are going to be successful now, we can't back off. We have to keep after it and keep working at it because that is a lifelong task. You can't just become suddenly wholehearted and expect it to last without work. It requires daily work to keep His commandments and to keep our heart where it belongs. Verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So remember what God told Joshua when Moses was dying and, and Joshua was to lead the people into uh, the promised land across the river. And he told him to read the word of God, the Bible, every day so that he might have good success. So you have to read God's Word. You have to have it in your heart and mind. Be reminded of it. Uh, Otherwise, we will sin against Him. Because sin comes so easily. Uh, Paul said it so easily besets us. Uh, Sin doesn't require any thought. It doesn't require any effort. It's just natural. It It just comes so easy. God said in one place, I forget now where it is, that sin is just like urinating. It's just, uh, just a natural, easy process. It just comes so quickly, so easily. Uh, kind of a, I guess, you might say a gross analogy, but it's God's analogy. It just uses the human body to show how some things are easy and some things are difficult. So we have to hide his words in our heart to take them inside. Blessed are you, O eternal. Teach me your statutes. God is blessed. He's blessed by living his own way, by never failing at it, by never giving in to any nature that is a contrary nature to his way. His nature is to obey it, and that's something that 
we all should be looking forward to diligently is the time and the moment of the twinkling of an eye when our nature actually changes. Instead of a downward pulling, negative nature, disbelieving, cynical, uh, and all approach that human beings tend to have, your whole nature would change. No longer would you even desire to sin. You would desire to do what is right. So as long as we're human, we will have these pulls that are downward. And it is a daily struggle to try to move upward against the current. But God is blessed in that he keeps his own statutes, and his life is abundant and joyful and happy. And all of those about his throne sing and praise him and, and uh, give joy to God. Uh, the only problems that God really has are Satan, the devil, and us. And we frustrate him because we don't want to do his way. But he is blessed in keeping his own statutes, and we will be blessed as we ourselves keep them, and then we will be given the ultimate blessing of glory in God's kingdom. So God's blessed in how he lives, and we need to learn his way to be taught his statutes. That's why he's set aside one day every week for us to picture the millennium, the 7,000 years of man's experience on the earth, uh, as Paul calls it, the rest in Hebrews 4. Uh, we have a Sabbath every week where we can put our own thoughts about our own things out of our minds and concentrate on his things. That's why it's wrong for us to watch TV programs or play certain games or various things that people might want to do. They say, well, I'm not working. Well, it's not just about working. It's about not thinking our own thoughts and, as Isaiah 58 says, and doing our own things. It is a matter of, hey, here's, seven, here's 24 hours every week in which you have absolutely nothing to do but seek God to maybe rest some physically if you're tired and overworked, but just to sleep all day Sabbath, as I've known some people to do in the past. They say, well, I'm resting. Well, yeah, they're physically resting, but are they seeking God? Because there's the, the positive side of that. Uh, there are sins of omission and sins of commission, in other words. Uh, we are committed to resting on the Sabbath, but do we omit seeking God and seeking His ways? <laughs> That's where blessings come, and we should use part of the Sabbath to think about our lives, to think about the past week perhaps, to think about the week to come in terms of our conduct, our attitudes, our approach to people, our approach to God. In other words, it's a day to refocus and to get our perspective back. It's not just to cease from certain activities, but to use the time to uh, strengthen and fortify ourselves spiritually. <clears throat> so learning his statutes, and that's why we have a Sabbath service uh, on the Sabbath, so that formally we can address his word and address different aspects of it, expound it, talk about it, and learn his statutes better, learn how they apply to our lives better, 
And he has said, I, you're limited in what you can learn on your own. He said, that's why there is a ministry, is to help us to do that. Even as the ministers themselves learn, then they also have to teach others the same. So we do need instruction and guidance and help from other human beings, even in God's way. Because we are slack if we're not careful. And that's why he has made Sabbath service a uh, commanded assembly, not the forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We are told to assemble together, and we should miss that only under dire circumstances. We should arrange our lives for the most part so that we can be together with God's people on the Sabbath. Sometimes in case of travel or so on, you might be isolated and not be in a position where you can but when he says, keep my Sabbaths and meet together, he means the same about the weekly Sabbaths and the annual Sabbaths. We have to make the effort and the attempt to be with God's people at those times. It's very important to him, and it's very important for us. <clears throat> um, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of your mouth, verse 13. So we speak of these things. What does he say there in Malachi 3? That God will, when he makes up his jewels, when he prepares the crowns for his people, he will consider very highly those who speak to each other uh, constantly, uh, frequently, of his ways and of his truth, who are helping each other and encouraging one another, uh, rather than putting down and being negative about one another, uh, but who are encouraging and strengthening with one another. That's the attitude we really ought to have. With our lips declaring the judgments of his mouth, his ways, uh, all the judgments that are laid out here. And he makes many judgments in the Bible about circumstances, about this, what happened here, what happened there, what happened somewhere else. Uh, he makes judgments on, even as he did with Korah, even as he did with... Uh, various ones in the past, many, many examples of someone who was in a wrong attitude or uh, Ananias and Sapphira, whatever, you can pick out dozens and dozens and dozens of places, Baal or Balaam, and uh, where the ass judged him. So there are so many, many things in the Bible where it's not just the law, but how do you apply that law? And God says, under these circumstances, when this happens, I make this good judgment, and I make that bad judgment. So we need to examine his words and see what his judgments are in certain places and certain ways. Thankfully, the end of the last chapter, it says his mercy endures forever. And just as we have a chapter here that mentions something about his way in every verse, there's another one that we'll get to a little later that mentions his mercy in every verse. So God uh, emphasizes those two things above most everything else, frankly. Uh, keeping his ways, following his truths, and because we fail, his mercy endures forever. So he emphasizes those by repeating them over and over and over again. Of course, faith, hope, and love are the three things, uh, and love being the greatest of the three. But where do faith and hope and love come from? They come from God's way of life. And if we are following his rules, 
says, this is the love of God that you keep the commandments. So, if you want to know what godly love is, read the commandments. Because that's what tells you. John made it very, very clear. He was the one who probably had more love than any of the apostles. The one that Christ loved the best. Now, what does that tell you about John? That tells you he was also the best commandment keeper of them all. Because he had greater love than the others did by comparison. And it is the keeping of God's law that is God's love. Now, we can talk about the various Greek words about it, and they have some meaning. But when you boil it right down, it's if we keep those Ten Commandments and all the ramifications, then we will have the love of God. Because that's what defines it. And John said it that way. How, how, how definable is it? This is the love of God that you keep His commandments. You treat God with love and respect and thankfulness, and you treat human beings with love and respect and kindness and gentleness and goodness and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, that's the love of God. It's the keeping of those Ten Commandments toward God and toward man. Uh, where was I here now? Let's see, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Now Christ said that if our heart will be where our treasure is, or if we treasure his ways and his words the most, that's where our heart will be. If we treasure physical, uh, material riches, then that's where our heart will be. And he says you can't serve both. So you put God first, and it is hard for a rich man to go through be in the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It really pulverizes a camel if you do that. And it's hard for us, hard for a rich man, to devote his life to God when he has riches. Well, we would love to have wealth. We would love to be rich. I guess it's the way of the world. And yet, we have to be very, very careful, because if that's our goal or our purpose, whether we're rich or not, I mean, most poor people don't, of course, have the riches, but they have the desire for riches. So that consumes their lives. You don't even have to be rich, you just have to have your mind on being rich. You can be poor as a church mouse and still have a problem with money. Uh, because it's your goal and your purpose, and you think that'll make you happy. Well, no, it won't. There are a lot of miserable rich people on this earth today, and they don't know the way of God, and they will not be in the kingdom of God. So he says, I rejoiced in the way of your testimony. Uh, much is not, uh, in the original Hebrew here, as much as in all riches, this makes a comparison that we, we should love God as much as uh, we do riches. I don't think that's the case. It's not the case Christ made. I don't know whether there might be a little bit of a translation here that's not giving us the full meaning or not, because we have to put his riches far above physical riches. doesn't mean we can't use money and we can't use finances. It's okay to work. It's okay to make money. But be careful that that's not your goal. And if you get a lot, that you don't forget God. I will meditate in your precepts and have respect.
respect to your ways. We learn respect for his ways a lot of times by making mistakes and suffering the consequences as opposed to doing it God's way and the consequences are good and don't cause us problems. We create most of our own problems in one way or another. So respecting his ways is something we have to learn. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We're told not to let any of his words drop to the ground. I don't know how your memory is, but mine's getting worse and worse and never has been the best thing that I ever had, I guess. Uh, but it's easy to forget some of God's words. It's, you know, to, the, the whole Bible is there, and it's hard to remember it all. It's hard to keep it in your mind, and that's why we have to go to His Word frequently, lest we forget His Word. Uh, it's easy to, to drop it. How many people, when Worldwide broke up, forgot nearly everything they knew about God's Word? It just, it just disappeared from their minds. They quit studying the Bible. They quit reviewing it. They weren't hearing it in church anymore. And it just disappeared. We think we know God's way, but it's so easy to let part of it drop to the ground and forget to do it or not react properly. Verse 17, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. So he says, Please, Deal bountifully with me, uh, with your spirit, your help, your strength, your guidance, your blessings, whatever, that I may live and keep your word. We need a certain amount of encouragement from God. Uh, you know, there's a balance in approach, and we see that balance in the scriptures. We see some who that chide us not to sin or to depart from sin. And then we see those that are very encouraging, where God says, I will bless you if you do this and that and the other thing. So it's a balance uh, in the scriptures of reading them all. Some people uh, seem to concentrate just on the negative things about how bad we are, uh, and that can depress you. But God always gives some encouragement along with it when he gives a, a very... A scathing rebuke in the scripture, then I think almost invariably he'll turn around and give us some encouragement afterward, just as we should with our children. We'll correct them, we'll be nasty with them, they'll think, we'll paddle their behinds or whatever, but then we should give them uh, encouragement and, and our love and our emotion and hold them and hug them and so on uh, when their attitudes have straightened out. So we have to have both. So he's praying for encouragement and bounty from God here and that that would help him keep God's word. And, you know, there are a lot of times we might be a little depressed or discouraged, but if we get a little bit of help or a little bit of strength from God or he blesses us in some small way, it's encouraging to us. We see something good that happens. Like today when I heard that uh, a sick person who had not been sleeping and was in a crabby attitude most of the time uh, had slept 11 hours and was in a better mood. Well, that, that was good to hear. I like to hear that kind of news. It encourages me a little bit. But maybe because of anointing and putting it in God's hands and asking for his help, there was some improvement. Not a total healing by any means, but some improvement. Uh, 
it is encouraging and it helps us to keep his word if we see that it helps to do so. Open you my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It doesn't just come naturally. You have to meditate on it. You have to think about it. Uh, and meditate on his ways so that as our eyes are opened, we see wondrous things. I know over the last 16 years, I've come to see an awful lot of things in God's Word that I never knew were there before. Uh, God opened our eyes, all of us, to see things that we hadn't seen before. And they're wondrous things about what He plans to do with His people here at the end as an example to the world. And how He plans to wind this whole thing up. That I'd read the Bible all my life and I never saw it at all. But there it was. When you understand how it affects the church and how it deals with the church, then it's, it's a wondrous thing to understand what is about to happen. We change the time of services. Let's see. i, I got to think what time it is here. I still got 15 minutes? <laughs> okay. Uh, didn't think I'd talk that long quite. Verse uh, 19, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Aren't we all strangers on this earth? We're trying to do God's way, and he's opened our eyes to his way. We're trying to live it, and that makes us strange to the whole world around us. It made us strange to our relatives, made us strange to... Uh, our friends and fellow employees or whatever, any, anybody in, out there in the world that doesn't know God's way, uh, we seem strange to. And even the things that we've learned in the last few years uh, in this little group itself makes us strange even to other church members who only had what we had in Worldwide Church of God. I say only, it was God's truth, and we knew the Sabbath and the holy days and various things, but the whole application to the end-time church we didn't get, and we didn't understand fully what would happen and how it happened to the church, and it was a shock to see the whole church implode before our very eyes and not know what was wrong or how God was going to fix it. And since then, we've learned how the story all fits and how it goes together and exactly what God is going to do about it. But not only are we a stranger in the world, but even we, in a small group, have become strangers to what remains of the church. My soul breaks for the longing that it has to your judgments at all times. Don't we find ourselves doing that at times? We long to think the way we should. We wish we thought better. We pray about it. We think about it. How am I going to adjust my attitude? And it is a struggle to uh, to keep a right attitude. And, and, it, and it breaks our heart. It breaks our soul. Trying to do that which is unnatural for us. That is to serve God. It is not a natural thing. When somebody tells you, I just am full of the love of God, and, and they just think that keeping God's way is so easy, there's a lot they don't understand, or they are very, very self-righteous. 
because living God's way has never been easy for anyone, including Christ himself when he was on this earth. So if you think it's easy to follow God's law, you are totally and utterly self-deceived and self-righteous and don't even know yourself. Verse 21, you have rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from your commandments. Well, if we don't follow his ways, look at this whole world. Uh, It's sick in every way, and it is about to be destroyed, and his rebuke is about to be turned loose. He's going to turn Satan loose on this whole world and reduce the population over 90%. And those people who are thinking that it ought to be done and that will actually do it under Satan's direction uh, believe that very thing. God has said that's how it will be reduced, and that is their goal and purpose. God has sicked Satan onto them and manipulated them to think his way, but it's God who is behind it all because he knows that that many people have to die for people to ever become humble and repent and be ready to serve Him. That's what it's going to take. And then the whole world will keep His commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. We might receive the reproach and the contempt of others uh, who don't know God's way as we try to keep it. They... They look down upon us, and then we look down upon each other once in a while. (laughs) Excuse me. If we either find or think we find fault with one another, we tend to have reproach and contempt towards somebody that's not as good as we think they ought to be, or not as good as we are, or, or just as good as we are but are still bad, or however we want to put it. It's so easy for us to get self-righteous and try to lift ourselves up by putting others down. So that reproach and contempt needs to be removed. We should not have it for one another, even as the world shouldn't have it for us, but do. Uh, We are trying to keep God's ways. We're trying to live by His testimonies. And yet, uh, if we fall short of it in any way, then we have those who will put reproach and contempt and condemnation upon us and look for things that they can find wrong with us. That is just a totally ungodly attitude. It's a satanic attitude. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And if you find yourself accusing the brethren and putting yourself in a negative approach about how bad things are around here or how bad so-and-so is, or especially the preacher, he's the worst, probably true, but uh, we find fault with those who are to be leaders much quicker than we do anyone else, because we expect them to be perfect. Find one in the Bible that was, please. Find me one real fast, if you would. Uh, Christ is the only one who was above reproach and contempt, and yet he received the reproach and contempt of the world, and we heap it on him ourselves by the things that we do. Well, nobody's perfect by any means. We all fall short of the glory of God. But recognizing that is one thing. Dealing with it is quite another. 
Now, we're going to find that people have weaknesses, faults, and problems. We can get disillusioned very easily because we think, well, those people ought to be perfect because they know this, this, this. When we first came into the church of God and into his truth and thought, well, we'll go to church and we'll find the God's people there, we'll find perfect people there, and boy, did we get our bubble busted when we found out they had all kinds of problems and all kinds of sins and all kinds of difficulties, and even the ministers did. I say even, they're just human too. Uh, everybody has problems. So, yes, you'll get disillusioned very easily when you expect what is not. Now, that happens to all of us without fail because human beings will always let us down one way or another, won't they? Because none are perfect, none are righteous, not even one. How we deal with it, though, is critical by not being critical, and coming to have the mercy of God, the forgiveness, now, his attitude, his whole approach to life is to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. That is his purpose and the way his mind works. He does not want to dwell on sin. He does not want to remember sin. He does not want to remember slights or attitudes we've had, or unthankfulness, as we heard in the sermonette. He doesn't want to remember any of those negative attitudes. He wants us to repent of them. He wants us to move on from them. But he does not have a laundry list of our problems that he goes over. When he thinks of you, he doesn't start thinking of all the bad things you've ever done. Uh, human beings will tend to do that. And in times of stress or emotional difficulty, husbands and wives will start bringing up stuff that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago uh, because they want a bad attitude, they deserve a bad attitude, and they're going to have one whether you like it or not. So they bring up the past. Whether it's 10 minutes ago or 50 years ago doesn't matter. Whatever they can think of, to put each other down and to make each other feel bad and to win the argument or feel better about themselves or whatever wrong and negative attitude they have that they're trying to feed. Uh, that's what we tend to do. But here the prayer is of a, of a human being to God, remove me from reproach and contempt. Nobody likes to be condemned and put down and hated and disliked and, and all the things they've ever done wrong remembered. Do you like it when somebody reminds you of things that they think you did wrong or things that you may have done wrong? No. It's frustrating. It's uh, depressing. It's difficult. And it's hard to be in a good attitude when you're being reminded all the time by somebody somewhere how bad you are. And we're not to treat each other that way. We're to come to have the love of God, which includes mercy and forgiveness. And how many times have we read and have I said that if we show mercy and forgiveness to others, God will forgive us and show mercy to us. But if we don't, and we remember their sins and faults and weaknesses and and uh, social injustices or whatever it might be, God said he will 
remember ours, and he will judge us by that. However we treat each other, and I don't think there's anything more important that we could get, how we treat each other on this earth is how God is going to treat us in judgment. That is a very scary thought. But it embodies his Ten Commandments, love toward God and love toward man. And if we are down and negative and resentful and angry with God or with man, God says he will judge us accordingly. And if we are angry and frustrated with each other and putting each other down and stabbing each other in the back and, and making a negative comments about each other, then God says, I will remember those. Isn't that what Christ said so very, very clearly? How you treat each other is how I'm going to treat you. So if you think you can have your little love fest with God and have your negative attitudes toward human beings, you got something to learn. you got something very powerful to learn. Because our judgment is going to be precisely how we treat each other. Christ has made that clear in no uncertain terms over and over again. So our goal and our purpose should be to try to remove reproach and contempt and condemnation from each other. You know, do you pray to God that that be removed from you and then lay it on others? How hypocritical is that? that we want God to treat us like we're special and, and shouldn't be condemned, and then we want to condemn others. He says, no, I'm not buying that at all. You're not going to get away with that one. It's his glory to cover, to hide, to get rid of sin. And, but man, rulers on this earth, kings, he says, uh, try to find out any negative they can find uh, about anybody. They seek out sin. God says, I try to cover it. So anytime we repeat sin or gossip about it or things that we think might be sin or look for sin or look for fault with one another, uh, we're doing just the opposite of God. God is trying to overlook our sins. He's trying to, to not be reminded of it. He's trying to put it away. He's trying to cover it under the blood of Christ. And yet we as human beings dig through the blood of Christ trying to find each other's sins. How do we know how hard somebody might be working at overcoming this, that, or the other thing? How do we know how many times they've prayed that God would forgive them and help them to quit doing this, that, or the other thing, or thinking this, that, or the other thing? And yet we think they're thinking that. We impute motives which may not be there. And then we condemn one another and talk about one another and, and build reproach and contempt rather than getting rid of it. It's, it, just, it can't work that way. God won't allow that. It'll come right back on us. Verse 23, Princes also did sit and speak against me, but your servant did meditate in your statutes. So all in all, it doesn't matter what people, rulers, think uh, and speak against us. 
What we have to do is meditate on God's ways and follow his statutes and do the things that he wants done. So, yeah, sticks and stones may bruise my bones, but words will never hurt me. We've repeated that as children over and over, but words do hurt us. And words spoken against us do hurt our feelings and our emotions. Maybe we shouldn't allow them. We're not supposed to become offended. And yet, on the other hand, we're not supposed to give offense either. Both uh, are sin. But people say, well, you shouldn't be offended by that. Well, you shouldn't be offending either. You know, it works both directions. We should never give offense if we can possibly help it. But then we should never be offended if somebody else is offensive. But boy, how fast we can get offended. And we do. But we got to work on that one. Your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. If you really want to know an answer to something, go to the testimonies of the various examples and instructions in the Bible and be counseled by that. And then we have human counselors who are here. If we don't think of those testimonies or we don't apply them properly, <laughs> excuse me, are here to help remind us of God's way, of God's words. That's why we're having this service today, is to remind ourselves of all these things that we're talking about. My soul cleaves to the dust. Quicken you me according to your word. There's a human emotion. Uh, my soul cleaves to the dust. My human nature, my being, all about me, I, I hang to the earth. I hang to the things of this world. I, I grovel in the dust. I feel like the lowest uh, dirt under the barrel or whatever. Not the bottom of the barrel, but the stuff that lives under a barrel. Do you ever turn a barrel over? See what lived under it? <coughs> that's, that's the way we tend to be. And we can become discouraged and frustrated. But if we read God's Word, it tends to pick us up. Now, there's some very severe rebukes in here, and we've talked about some of them today both directions. But overall, when you read God's Word, uh, it tends to get encouraging even after being hit between the eyes with it. I have declared my ways, and you heard me. Teach me your statutes. So we can go to God, and we can tell Him, my soul cleaves to the dust, and I have declared my faults, my weaknesses, my problems, my difficulties. I've, I've laid them on you. Uh, so please teach me how to get over it, to do better, to, to handle it better. Because we all have faults and weaknesses and problems, so it's, it's not a matter of, uh, of not recognizing that. I think we all see that to one degree or another, though we deceive ourselves a lot too. But we need to be taught His ways, and we lay our souls, bear our hearts before God, and ask him for help in following his statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts. I mean, you can read the law of God and say, well, that's what the law says. But do you understand it? Do you understand how it affects you and how it affects others? The way of living, according to his precepts, has an effect. <clears throat> So shall we talk of your wondrous works. And there again, Malachi 3, he tells us to talk of his wondrous works, and the things he's done. Uh, if we 
dwell on those things that he's done in the past, and then we dwell on the promises for the future, then we believe more. I saw a plaque recently that kind of caught my eye. It said, faith isn't believing God can do something. Faith is believing God will do something. There's quite a difference there in that. Yeah, I believe God can do this. I believe God can do that. But but will he? Is he going to? There's a difference between believing God is God and can do something and will he do it? Uh, Verse 28, my soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen you, me, according to your word. I think we all feel a certain heaviness in life. Uh, We've got a world that is going contrary to God almost entirely, and we're struggling to go God's way, and yet we have the same nature that the world has, and then we don't want to go, and so it gives us a heavy heart. And we need strengthening, strengthening according to his word. Go to his word. Read his word. That's where we have to get the help that we need. You start to un- disbelieve or not believe or or look down upon or not think, well, how could this truly be? Go back and read it. That's what it says. It's in there. I know over the last 16 years, any time I've begun to think, well, could that really be? How could that be? All I have to do is go back here and read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Minor Prophets and all those scriptures. It's there. And all I need to do is remind myself of it, and it gets me out of whatever attitude I might be trying to work myself into. So his word strengthens us. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me your law graciously. Does that mean we're all liars? Well, not necessarily, but I suppose everybody is about the same by the on earth that hasn't lied in one form or another. They might not be a habitual liar, but we all are to one degree or another in the way we live because we're supposed to do this, this, and this, and we wind up doing that, that, and the other thing. I can berate us up here where it says that we're to treat each other with respect and and try to hide each other's transgressions rather than repeat them to others and and you'll all sit here and agree with me on that. We should do that. But how long is it going to be before we infringe upon it again? How long does it take to forget that and go by our emotions or our feelings? And we want our feelings out there and our attitude about so-and-so out there. So we completely forget. And we're lying in a way to say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then go do that, that, and that. And that is where the seeds of hypocrisies begin to bear fruit. Or bear weeds, I guess you should say. I have chosen the way of truth. That's something we've all done. We've all said, I have chosen the way of truth. Uh, choose you this day. A good or evil. So we had to make a commitment to choose truth. Your judgments have I laid before me. These are the things that I have set in my mind. That's what I want to do. I have stuck unto your testimonies. O Eternal, put me not to shame. I think that's important right now because what did Christ say over and over? Endure to the end. 
Uh, don't give up. Don't become weary of well-doing. But stick it out. Endure to the end. And that there will be blessing for that. Blessed are those who endure to the end. Matthew 24. And if we do that, ultimately we will not be put to shame, but to everlasting glory. I will run the way of your commandments. We, Our feet run to sin. The sin that so easily besets us, as I said before, the, the way Paul put it. Uh, it's, it's easy to run the way of sin, to go that direction. It's, it's just so easy to do. You don't get out of breath and you don't uh, get tired. Uh, you ever notice how hard it is to go God's way or to read His Word uh, for a period of time? Uh, yeah, you might read the Bible for an hour. You might read it for two hours. You might read it three or four hours. <laughs> Do you ever notice how easy it is to party for hours? You know, some of us when we were younger, we could party all night. <laughs> it came easy. It wasn't hard to do. Hard to get over it, maybe, but it's harder to get over it when you get older than it is when you're younger. But it's just real easy to run the way of having a good time or party or whatever you might consider fun. That's easy. I could play football or basketball for hour after hour after hour, day after day, and never got tired of it. I, I could run up and down the court for hours. But I don't find it that easy to devote prayer and study and meditation and fasting uh, before God. It's not near as easy as it was to run and play ball. Uh, so here he says, I'll run the way of your commandments when you shall enlarge my heart. If God opens our hearts, opens our minds to these things that we understand, uh, we should be so thankful, so grateful, so happy to understand what's going on in this world, what's going on in the church. Do we sometimes forget about that and get all frustrated about our own difficulties and problems or somebody else's difficulties and problems? and forget to have that large heart of thanksgiving and joy and excitement that enlarges our heart, that, that feels so grateful to know what we know. Because at least we have a chance. We have a chance to help God, to help God's people, to be servants to them, and that should be exciting to us but it's so easy to get bogged down. That's why he says, I'll, I'll run the way when you enlarge my heart, when you help me understand better what this is all about. I'm going to run that way. Not away from it, but run to it. Well, I think I'm going to stop there for today. That's quite a bit of, of instruction and guidance from God's testimony, His law, His words, even through 32 verses. And... Uh, Good place to pick it up next time.